Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. Hello, 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 everybody. Thank you for joining us on another exciting conversation and week in this podcast because I have what I'd like to call an internet funny person, or you know, some people like to call them content creators, whatever. Uh, he's also a director, he is a, an accomplished human being ever since he made his move to the greater Los Angeles area. We are talking about a gentleman named Stanley Seavers. He, uh, you undoubtedly have seen his videos ping-ponging across, whether it's TikTok or Instagram. To be clear, I'm not on TikTok because I just know that that's a bad place for me. But you've undoubtedly seen his videos, whether that's his uh, coming out of mosh retirement videos or uh, talking about buying a ridiculous amount of band merch, um, edge breaking. It's amazing stuff. Like, no joke. I loll at his videos every time he releases them and not just like the, just like the chuckle. It's like, Oh my gosh, this is so incredible. It's so funny. So I actually was at a counterparts show. uh, I don't know, maybe about five or four or five months ago. I'm not exactly certain when, but I walked by Stanley and I was like, dude, (laughs) just, just like accosted him. I was like, I find your videos to be hilarious. And I feel like the more specific you are, the funnier they are. And I was like, you have to come on my podcast. And, uh, you know, after he got over the like, Whoa, dude, calm down. Um, we did it and it was very fun. And he also played in a band on Trustkill Records called Dead Icons from the Midwest. And uh, I was familiar with the band. I wasn't like, you know, a hardcore Dead Icons fan or anything like that. But I knew I knew they did some work. It was really cool. So we'll play a little bit of uh, Dead Icons before we go into his interview. But needless to say, you can probably tell that I'm excited to have Stanley on. So let's talk some business pleasantries, okay? You can always email the show 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. That will get you directly into my inbox, whether it's ideas for other guests or whether it's just, you know, hey, here's some music you want to check out. 
You can also, whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on, if it's Apple Podcasts, leave a rating or a written review on that. I would very much appreciate that. And on Spotify, you can leave a star review. I would appreciate that as well. That is a free way that you can help the podcast. You can also share this on social media if you're feeling so inclined, whether it's just a, a simple shout out being like, oh, this is a great episode. I like this. Or uh, being like, hey, I really want to make sure that everybody who's aware of punk and hardcore should be listening to this stuff. So you can, um, yeah, I think that's all. I'm not going to bother you about that. But I would highly suggest that you, I'm going to leave a link in the show notes, but I have launched a auxiliary podcast of this. I would call it a supplemental show called More On That. And I just released the second episode. The first episode was a supplement to the best of 2022 list because there was obviously a lot of stuff that I had to leave off personally. But uh, this is a Spotify exclusive just because I play full songs in there. I mean, you can still listen to it on other platforms if you desire, but you just won't hear the songs. And that's kind of a weird vibe. So just listen to it on Spotify. Like I said, a link will be in the show notes, but the second episode is a deep dive into initial records. That was a very formative record label to me. And I know many, many people who got into punk and hardcore in the nineties. And uh, I just loved being able to play bands that came from the label and talk about why Louisville, Kentucky is awesome. Talk about why Andy Rich was doing some cool stuff with initial records and how important that damn catalog was. Oh my gosh, man. That was like the Bible when it came into my inbox and my life in general. So anyways, do that. Like I said, a link is in the show notes. And uh, speaking of links and show notes, you can also subscribe to the YouTube channel of this show. I basically just put up an audio version of this, like not recording myself awkwardly looking to my computer for an hour because no one needs that. But uh, yeah, that's just another link that you can dive into in the show notes. And also Stanley's website, because he just recently launched his own merch store, which is really cool. And you can see all of his other work, which uh, includes a, uh, a little cameo in the uh, Blink-182 uh, coming out video, like when they you know made their announcement that they're joining back with Tom. But anyways, all those links, so much fun stuff you can get into in the show description. But let's talk about Stanley, okay? Like I said, internet funny person. And uh, I think his pursuit into, uh, you know, humor, stand-up comedy, all of this stuff is very directly related to getting into punk and hardcore. There are so many similarities between those two scenes. So uh, yeah, Stanley and I got to explore that and also talk about his band life and a bunch of other stuff. So here is Stanley and I will talk to you, of course, after the episode is over. So uh, obviously a couple of weeks ago, I uh, walked by you at a counterpart show, the glass house in uh, Pomona, and I immediately had to punish you and say, I really enjoy how humorous you are on the internet. And I'm sure it's funny for you to be in the position that you're in where uh, obviously a lot of people are seeing what you are doing now. And, you know, you've created stuff in the past playing in bands and what have you and you probably had to you know beg for people's attention in regards to that so is it is it interesting for you to be like oh wow like thanks for paying attention to what i'm doing here no yeah definitely i think that i've been doing stuff with bands and then also like creatively like writing stuff like making comedy stuff 
performing. Like I did improv and, and sketch comedy in Chicago for a long time. And like, I mean, yeah, it is, it is weird when sometimes something just works. Um, and then in the last like couple of years, like I've had a few things working and it's sort of like a coalesce, like a, I don't know if the word convalescence or, uh, I'm trying to, I, I promise I read a lot. So no, I, I obviously, I mean, we're, you're literally open to the thesaurus app and like trying to type it in there. Yeah. So yeah. So it's sort of like a convergence of all the different things I've done in my life, like coming together and it starts to work in a way that's like really weird. It feels like it's, it's easy to do for the first time. I think ever creating anything, this is the easiest that it's ever felt for me to make stuff, which is a really strange feeling. I really like that thought process because it, it, it does the idea of something that is easy, but at the same time, you've clearly put work into so many aspects of your creative lifestyle, whether it is, you know, playing in bands or whatever, and obviously the sketch comedy and, uh, you know, improv and stuff. So it's like, you probably would only be able to do something now that is a little bit easier for you <laughs> just because of those skills that you built, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, that that's definitely the case. I think that like, I wouldn't be able to, create like characters or make like edit vi- edit videos in a way that's like interesting to watch or whatever. If I hadn't made like hundreds of videos and stuff before that, like no one's seen, you know, <laughs> like, right. uh, and just sort of like over time develop these different skills. It's like, it's kind of like that thing when you ask like someone like, Hey, uh, how, why does it cost like, a writer this much to do like copywriting. It's like, well, you're not paying them for the hour that it takes. Like you're paying them for all the hours that they put into it. And I've been, I've been doing like comedy and like film adjacent stuff probably since like 20, like 13 or 14. Um, it's just like, no one has really seen any of that stuff. I mean, some people like maybe like hundreds of people, but not, not as many now. Um, so it's like, I definitely have put in a lot of hours into getting good at stuff. And, and I still like just figuring out, I don't really necessarily know what I'm doing all the time or, or, or claim to know what I'm doing, but, um, I definitely feel like I've put in the time to get better at it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we'll pick apart some of that journey a little bit later, but, um, putting the focal point on just kind of y- your origin stories. Like I know you were born and raised in Kentucky, correct? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, at, and Lexington to be precise. Mm-hmm. The see, I did my internet research about you. Um, I, I from my experience with Kentucky has always been, you know, on tour and what have you, and like playing Louisville and those surrounding areas. Lexington is a city I've only driven through, and it, it seems like that r- real kind of quintessential Midwest town that's you know big enough to support a being called a city and obviously have stoplights and everything like that but it's rural enough to feel like you are not at the center of it all so to speak i'm guessing was that your experience yeah so it's it is a city i mean you can have a scene there but it's not a scene that is going to bolster without people really making it happen you know like i live in la now so the scene here obviously is made happen by people, but I think that people are pretty just happy to go to shows anytime, you know? And if like, and if one person stops booking shows, there's maybe three or four other people, maybe more that are booking stuff. Whereas like in Kentucky or Lexington, at least when I was there, 
if like one person stopped booking shows, like you don't have shows, you know? So um, there was maybe like two people when I was there that were really hardcore booking shows. Um, and, you know, when, if they stop, then it's done. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's true. It's like the, the burden of responsibility falls onto just from a number perspective, so much fewer shoulders because there's just not as many people there. Wait, what, what were you, what band were you touring in? Uh, I played in a band called Taken and we like around from like, I don't know, late nineties, early two oh, thousands. Sounds familiar. Yeah. That's cool. We were, we were really good friends with uh, those dudes from cast from Eden and a bunch of, uh, you know, Oh those, yeah. That's yeah. sick. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, I'm, I always honestly like being predominantly from the West coast. I always was obsessed with the Louisville scene just because it was so diverse and interesting. And so I found many of the adjacent scenes to also be pretty diverse where it's like, Oh yeah, you're a hardcore kid, but you're also listening to indie rock and emo, um, which isn't a novel idea anymore. But at the time was like, Whoa, like you can like all these other things. You can't, you're, you're not just a punk kid or a hardcore kid. Oh dude. I, I was actually just talking to someone about that the other day. And oh, actually, I was talking to my wife about it, and I was like, "I was like, yeah, for a long time, I didn't listen to anything but hardcore." And she was like, "What are you talking about?" And I was like, "Yeah, I just thought that I only had to listen to hardcore." And she was like, "Are you are you a fucking idiot?" And I was like, "No, that's just what that's like what it was at the time. You just listened to hardcore, and then that was the music you listened to. And then if you listened to indie, you were like an indie guy. And then if you did listen to indie, you didn't tell anyone about it. Like if you listened to like the Interpol album, you know, you're like, no, I don't actually listen to that, you know." Or you couldn't like listen to Taking Back Sunday and then go listen to like Hatebreed. You know what I mean? Like, I guess people were obviously doing it, but it was like frowned upon weirdly. I, I don't know. It just, I know what you're saying though. Like you couldn't just, you can't listen to everything, but you can do that now, which is really cool. Right. And I, I think a lot of that has to do with the identity that you start to build for yourself when you make these choices of getting into punk and hardcore and picking your lane and sticking to that lane and being so you know, loud and boisterous about it. It's like, yeah, I'm this thing and this is me. And it's like, I don't listen to anything else because I don't have time for anything else or whatever. It's just like, yeah. it's so ridiculous. Yeah. I think a lot of people, I mean, especially myself included, like I definitely was like that. Like when I first got into it, because the music was such an escape for me for like, I, I didn't really have friends that many friends at school. And so like shows were kind of where I made, I made all my friends. And then, so like, once I got into it, I was like, trying to mainline it. You know what I mean? Like I was like, hook, I would like hook, like hook my up, hook me up to the fucking hardcore IV. I will only do this. Like, this is all I live for. And uh, I was very serious about it for a long time. And I guess I still am in a way, but I, I'm able to reflect on it in a way that's maybe not, I guess I would say like a juvenile perspective, like this is it. And this is only the thing for me. But I, I don't really necessarily know it's, if it's accurate to see juvenile. It's just like a different kind of perspective. Yeah. Well, I mean, the world opens up and you're able to understand that, yes, you can still, you know, be a hardcore kid and listen to hate breed. But then you can also be like, yeah, I like Nick Drake or whatever. It's like, yeah. you don't, it, your, your identity is who you are as opposed to the music you listen to, even though that is important. But yeah, you're, you're very right. Yeah. I mean, I do like, I think that like, for example, I just did my Spotify wrapped and I was like, there was not one hardcore band on my top listens this year. And for some reason this year was all like rap and hip hop, but it's, I listened to a lot of hardcore, but not enough of each artist individually to make it to like a top 
10. Right. It was all like, I listened to a lot of new bands this year, which uh, was really cool because I sort of just started discovering a lot of new bands. And uh, that's, I suspect that's what that is. But it's like, I remember listening to hardcore the whole year, but clearly I listened to 90% rap. And uh, that doesn't mean that I'm not a hardcore kid. I just had a had a phase you know <laughs> yeah or i mean or you could be defined as a sellout now so that's cool yeah that's true i could also be a sellout you know right <laughs> <laughs> so in uh what was your family structure looking like you know mom and dad in the house brothers and sisters or what it would that compromise yeah so i i grew up with my parents uh my parents divorced when i was 14 um i think that they would agree that they didn't necessarily have like the, the best relationship and it, it mostly just cause they didn't really communicate. I think that they had some just breakdowns of communication, which is like something that I've had to learn as an adult, how to communicate on because I sort of grew up. That was my, uh, my example, but you know, they're, they were great, like loving parents. And I think that like once they got divorced, I, uh, it was sort of like a big surprise to me. Um, because they didn't really, uh, fight in front of me or anything. So, um, yeah, like I, it was a big surprise to me. And that was around the time when I was getting into this kind of music, I was already into it a little bit because I was like, you know, I was, I got bullied at school all the time. And so that, that's like a surefire way to drive surefire way to drive someone into like, you know, like metal and stuff like that. Um, and then around that time is when I started to really like, dive into it. I also went through a pretty rough, a pretty rough breakup as a 14 year old. Uh, so that, that, uh, <laughs> I was like sort of at that time, a lot of things when I was 14 is when a lot of this stuff started happening. Like I started getting into more, I guess more like niche type of music, like understanding what hardcore was because I was pretty much just listening to like corn and system of a down Mm-hmm. Uh, all the time sure. and then like i just using that to get into like heavier like different kind of heavy stuff um yeah, yeah when you're I, go- yeah. when you're going through i mean that the uh, divorce no matter how much you either are predicting it or not predicting it like that is a traumatic event in and of itself but then on top of it like having your first real heartbreak i mean even though it's you know in retrospect you look at <laughs> you look back at it and you're just like why was that being so dramatic but it's like dude that's i mean that hurts like when the first time that someone's like i liked you and now i don't like like you anymore you're like oh my gosh what do i do yeah man i i would love i i remember exactly what happened and uh, i would love to tell you that this it's a very funny story uh so i was dating this this uh this girl i was 14 and i was talking to her on the phone and she was like i'm at the so there's a store in lexington kentucky where there was called cosmic it was like a skate shop and i was like hey what are you doing and she's like i'm at the cosmic skate skate skate-a-thon at at the park and i'm like what like you went to the cosmic skate-a-thon because typically that's something that she would we would we would both go to you go together right 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 right. of course so i'm like you're at the cosmic skate-a-thon by yourself like what so I'm like, Dad, I need you to take me down to the Cosmic Skateathon or whatever. And he's like, All right. So he comes me down, and I'm like, You need to drop me off about three blocks away. And so I, he draws me off, and I walk down there, and I get, I get down to where she is, and she's hanging out at the time. She's hanging out with these guys that I know are like 18 and 19 and stuff. These guys are, and I know that they all work at Long John Silver's because I've seen them in the scene and stuff. Sure. So, so these guys are like, I remember walking up. And she was like making out with one of these guys. Oh. And I remember seeing that he had the, on those like those thick 
those thick uh, tongue skate shoes like Osiris or whatever. Oh yeah, dude. Huge. Right. Yeah. Chad, yeah. Chad Muska specials. Exactly. And, but they were covered in like fish batter because he worked at Long John Silver's. <laughs> oh, disgusting. <laughs> I was like, I was like, what the hell dude? And so he was like making it. It's like, dude, this guy is like 19 and he's making out with a 14 year old. And at the time that did no red flags for me. Like, I don't know. It was like early two thousands. I was like, this makes sense. Like those guys are just really cool, I guess. And then she like made out with him in front of me. And then I was like, we got to go talk. <laughs> and so I t- <laughs> we like took a walk out in the middle of this field outside the skate-a-thon. And uh, I was like, we got to break up. And she was like, so flippant about it. Like, I guess she had moved on to bigger and better things like cooler, cooler dudes. Yeah. And uh, so I was like, we're break- I'm breaking up with you. And then I took my, I went home. I had my, I had to call my dad to come pick me up again. Like, of course. Minutes later. Right. <laughs> so I'd go home. And I, I lived in the country, so I was like, I took my BB gun and I walked through the woods to this abandoned barn and I shot out all the windows in this abandoned barn. Like, ah, just, fuck you. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And by the way, I had on, I probably had on a, a crispy comeback kid t-shirt from, from like, there wasn't hot topic there at the time. It was cosmic. And then I probably had on like American Eagle, like boot cut uh, oh. jeans with like ripped like ripped knees and of I was probably wearing uh, either Birkenstocks or new balance or something like my, my whole like fit was just insane at that time. And I had, I had like really big, like flippy like hair uh, and I was just like shooting out the windows and I took off my, my necklace that had, we had, we had made these like these uh, initial necklaces. Yes, exactly. Oh, so I love it. We got them made at a pet store <laughs> and I was like, fuck that. And I was like, fuck you. And I like, I dug a little hole and then I put it in the hole and I like covered it up, but it wasn't, it wasn't as like impactful as I wanted that to be like burying that. So I just was like, fuck that. And it was like stomping on it and stuff. And this, uh, and that, that actually was the same week that my parents got divorced too. So it really like, it hit me hard. Dude. I was like, Are you kidding me? Right. Um, Love isn't real. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah, I pretty wow. much carried that message all through like high school and into like adulthood for a while, which is something I had to unpack as like a thirty year old. I that that is it. That is a real thing where it's just like you know the the betrayal hits on multiple levels, and then you know while we joke about it, it's just like those are it's the first time you go through something like that. That's going to be a real thing. So, but I I yeah. really appreciate you painting the picture because that is a. Uh, <laughs> as a very tried and true, you know, like when you do go through that experience and especially, I mean, like I, I could just close my eyes and picture you pulling up to this and seeing her kissing out with another dude. And you're just kind of like, or oh, this is stuff like, Oh, just beautiful teenage angst. Yeah. Oh, it's completely. A, yeah. And so like you were mentioning the idea of, you know, you, you getting picked on and like, I mean, most people that, like you said, escape into music and or comedy, it usually is that notion of like, all right, I can't really get along with anybody that's in my high school or any other peer group I'm supposed to be a part of or sports team or whatever. Um, So I'm guessing like, were you doing sports or anything like that? Did you care about school or was it basically just like, uh, now that I found music and comedy, like those are the things I'm going to care about? Yeah. I mean, so I didn't, I didn't even consider comedy until after I had been done touring and uh, the band I was in called Dead Icons and this other band called Call the Reserve. Okay. I didn't actually, comedy had never, was never even on my radar for a long time. But um, I think initially, like 
I was just getting bullied at school. I think because one of the reasons why I got bullied a lot is because I, uh, I still am, but I used to be like way more of a, like I, I wasn't able to control my emotions really, okay. especially like I, I would be overpowered with, with, um, like during moments of confrontation, I would just cry like pretty immediately, which like you can imagine for like a middle school, like boy is like a death sentence, you know? Yep. So I, I would just cry anytime, like anything happened. Um, and I still, I cry a lot now. I feel like I still cry. Like I cry a movie. It doesn't matter what movie it is. It could be like the Avengers. And I'm like, fuck. Totally. Commercial. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I do a commercial, like, you know, all that's, I, I'm very like, I think I'm very like sentimental and, and whatnot. Like, at the time I wasn't really able to do that. And I think it's also because I wasn't really communicating with, with anyone about my feelings. And I also had, like once my parents divorced, like I went to see a therapist for a little bit, but I, I just, I really didn't know how to talk about anything like that. Cause my parents and I didn't really have that kind of converse, like that kind of relationship at the time to like talk about our feelings. Um, and uh, so I, yeah, I was just getting kind of picked on a lot and, and bullied and like, I, um, I, I, I think at one point I just sort of was like the switch flipped where I was like, well, I could either be like really sad about this or I could, I could laugh about it. And laughing feels a lot better of a way to deal with it. Um, so that sort of became my coping mechanism. Like every Friday night I would stand, I would just sit in front of my TV and watch all the comedy central stand-up specials, mm-hmm. like the 30 minute specials. They would just run all night on Fridays and this is before I even thought about doing any kind of comedy, but that was, that became my outlet as well as the music. And, um, yeah, I, I think that that, you know, comedy came later, but first it was the music and it just helped me like, it was the first time I'd heard people like expressing their emotions, like being angry and whatnot. Like I, I just didn't ever feel like it was okay for me to express emotions or, or be angry or whatever. Cause in school I, I was a good student. Like I, I took like AP, like writing, like college, like writing classes, uh, you know, in high school because I love to write, mm-hmm. but I just had to do like pass fail in math and science. Cause I sucked at those right. and I was a right. good student. I never got into trouble or anything. I, I think, but I think that it was always like, I never wanted to take up space. And, uh, you know, you're talking to someone now who's been through like years of therapy. So I, I now have like a different perspective on me as a child being like, well, I was such a good kid. And now I'm like, well, I think I just didn't really want to take up space or be a bother to anyone or a nuisance or whatever, which is like, once again, something I'm unpacking as an adult that you, all these things like chase you your whole life. And then you have to unpack them one day or else they just start unloading on the people around you. Right. Well, and that, and to that point too, you actually have the language to describe what you're feeling. Cause I mean, you know, as a 18, 20 or 22 year old, like the idea of just using the verbiage, taking up space, like that wouldn't even be part of your vernacular. You just be no. like, I don't know what I, I just don't, I feel bad. It's like, right, that's it. exactly. Tell me what all these bands have in common. Typo negative, the Beatles, Iron Maiden, Cradle of Filth. Yes, of course they all have guitar, but all of their merch is sold on one of our favorite partners, rockabilia.com. Please use this promo code 100 words or less. That gets you 10% off of your entire order. And I love this company so much because they have everything under the sun you could possibly imagine. Whether it's shopping for, you know, Valentine's Day gifts for your significant other, or whether it's getting your, you know, cool uncle a sweet Judas Priest t-shirt, whatever it is. 
They got your solution. Ships out from the Midwest in the United States of America, and it's all officially licensed. So that means the bands get paid. And I know you hear me say that time and time again in these ads, but that is a very, very important factor as to why I love working with Rockabilia. So again, go to rockabilia.com, use the promo code 100 words or less, 10% off your order, and go buy you know a very interesting combo of a Typo Negative and Cradle of Filth and Beatles merch, right? That's a good combo. So thank you very much, Rockabilia. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all want more time in our lives. You know, whether it's like, dang, I wish I had like another hour to, you know, play video games or read more or get outside or whatever it is. I know myself that I actually get questions a lot in regards to this podcast. How do you fit it in your day? And like, how do you do the interviews and all that stuff to be able to then balance the rest of my life from my work and, you know, playing in a band and I have a family, all of these things. But that is why therapy is so awesome because it helps you be able to sort out your life to focus on the things that for one really matter to you and two, Try to find more time for those things that you love. That is why I love working with BetterHelp. Because if you need to find a therapist, they're there for you. So give them a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient for you. And they can be suited to your schedule. And you fill out a brief questionnaire matches you up with your own personal therapist. And if you do not like that experience, you can switch it. No problem. No questions asked. It's great. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. It's an offer just for you, the listener of this podcast. That's BetterHelp.com slash Ray. Like you said, with the the uh, lineage of music that you were getting into. So like new metal, I mean, that is such a huge part of most people's journeys. And what kept you, I guess, going for more? Was it just the idea that you were searching for more extreme things? And that's obviously where, you know, hardcore kind of jumped into it. Uh, I'm guessing too, that because there were not many of your friends that were listening to that, were you just kind of finding it out on your own on the internet or what was the vibe? Yeah. So what happened for me was I started going to local shows because when I, when I went to high, I was, I started high school. I had some, a couple friends that were older than me that were like juniors and seniors. And they, they went to local shows and uh, they're mostly women actually. And they would just take me with them sometimes. I guess they just saw that I was like not having a good time and being picked on all this stuff. Right. Take me to local shows with them. And I, so I started seeing like local bands, you know, it would just be like, this isn't, these are just like local bands, like kind of weird stuff. Like it could be like a guy playing like a fiddle and then, you know, like some guy on a theremin or like, it's, you know, I don't know, somebody else playing banjos and then to be like a punk band or whatever. So I'm seeing all this stuff. And then every now and then I'd go to a local show and like a touring band would hop on last minute. And I remember so starkly the difference between like a local band and a band that had been playing the same music for like months right? and just like the show and like the energy coming from that. I, I think that it hit me really hard and, and I just, it was really striking to me. And, and as I started going to more shows, like more people started to put me on. I, since I was younger, I was a younger person going to shows, the older people sort of, 
a lot of my friends that I have now really, really tried to put me on and really made me feel included and, and joined, joined me in on things, which I appreciate. And they were the kind of the ones that got me into more niche stuff. And I, and I not necessarily telling me to listen to stuff, but I might, someone might just be treating me really nicely at shows or booking shows. And I'd see that they're wearing a tragedy shirt or, um, you know, a 10 yard fight shirt or something like that. And, and I would just start to get curious about what that is. And then, you know, as I would go to Best Buy or whatever, FYE and, and buy CDs, I started to just buy different CDs here and there. And that's sort of just how it began, like organically, like, and I had one friend that would, he was, he was like an older dude, but he would take basically me and any other, anyone else that wanted to go to shows like far away, like with him um, in his car. So it's like me. And then like three other people that are like, I'm like maybe like 16. There's like another guy who's like 18. Now someone who's like 22 and this guy's like 21 or something. And he's just driving us all to go see some band like two hours away. And my parents were cool with that, you know? So I, these, and I would listen to music in the car with them. So that's kind of where it all started is just, I think organically like going to local shows and then being put onto things directly or indirectly through people that were older than me. Yeah. That's, I love that idea of the older people. I mean, even though I always reflect back on my own experience, which I share is similar to yours where you feel these people who are like so much older than you are like three or four years older than you. (laughs) It's like, but it's such a difference. And just that idea, they noticed your interest and uh, participation in it. So they were just like, Oh yeah, here, check out Gorilla Biscuits, check out this thing. And like, it, like you said, it wasn't forced. It was just like, you'll probably like this. Check it out. Yeah. Yeah. And when did, uh, like, as you started to, you know, see the stark difference between like local bands and, you know, national touring bands and stuff like that, did you get captured by the idea of like trying to play in a band or, you know, pick up a guitar and that sort of stuff? Yeah. So I, I originally had played drums like in high school, but then my friend was better at drums than me. So I stopped. <laughs> so I started playing bass instead, which is all we know, as we all know, is the easier instrument. Absolutely. So, uh, I played bass and then I sang in another band. I sang in two different bands locally, like hardcore bands. One of them, we like never managed to get a bass player. So it was just like guitar, drums, and me. And another one was like just kind of like a three piece, like punk hardcore band. So I was like playing shows around and that I think that I just wanted to be a part of it. Like I wanted to write music. I wanted to write lyrics. I wanted to make stuff. And I don't know. I just don't, I think that I just didn't want to be a spectator anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's, I, that's just the way it happened. Like I just started doing bands and then eventually um, people that were in other bands locally. So my friends, like we, we met, I was riding bikes with them one night and they're like, Hey, like we have this idea. We want to, we want to do a band like specifically to tour, you know, cause a lot of bands around, they were in bands that were like, well, I, we can't tour because this guy works here and this guy does that or whatever. And so they were like, we are just going to like leave all of our other bands and we're going to start a new band with a specific intention of touring. And I was just like, oh, I'll do it. And I, that's how I started like really actually playing bass seriously is <laughs> to be in this band. Right. Yeah. You're like, okay, I guess I gotta, you know, be able to, put together a song and be able to follow along here. Yeah. And I got to tell my parents, no, I'm not going to college next year. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I presume that was a uh, dead icons, correct? Yeah. Okay. And was it one of those things where you were 
like, you know, were you attracted to obviously like the aggressive nature? Like, you know, did you ever, you know, go down like straight edge veganism, vegetarianism, the political side of things? Like did that stuff capture your attention as well? Yeah. Political stuff did. I was straight edge. Uh, you know, I was straight edge from 14 till 18. Big deal. That's uh, four um, years, man. That's you put the yeah, time in. Yeah. I was in a local article where they interviewed kids about being straight edge. And I said how positive it was on me. And to be honest, it still is. I, my, I'm, I'm sure my wife would say I'm still straight edge. Um, but yeah, I just don't really like. If you're not now, me. you never were, of course. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. right. <laughs> but, uh, I think that sort of, I would credit being straight edge as one of the most positive things I ever got out of being into that scene because I could have easily started doing drugs or drinking a lot to just like fit in and stuff. But instead I found that I could fit in by not doing any of that and just like making friends with other straight edge people and going to shows and whatnot. And I still carry a lot of, I, I've never tried any drugs besides like I've smoked a cigarette one time. I've, you know, obviously partaken in some marijuana sure. Um, and I drank, but I've, I've never done anything else other than that. And I really don't care to, um, that, that was what really drew me in because a lot of my friends at the time in high school, like everyone was getting into drinking and drugs and all this stuff. And, and I just like, I always just th thought it was like, I, I think I always saw it as being so false. Like, I think it was clear that it was like high school kids just trying to like be cool and whatnot. And, and I also saw a lot of these kids cause I went to uh, like a school with like a lot of like wealthy, like kids there. And they, I saw that they were like drinking and like crashing their cars. They would crash like these super expensive cars and like get no consequences. And like, you know, I just saw a lot of it as like, I just didn't like anything about the culture. And I also just started to see how alcohol and, and drugs are marketed to people, you know, and they like, like these things are, they're, they are poison, right? Like in, in the most basic sense, like, you know, you take, and if you use them in moderation, they're fine. But I think at the time I really started to see all that. And I really, I valued my health. Like I also, I played lacrosse too. And I, I ran cross country. So I valued like being able to do those things well. And um, yeah, I really valued my health and I, I wanted to like be present all the time. I didn't want to like miss anything or, um, I just, I don't know. I thought that it was false kind of. And yeah, I, well, yeah. And, and I think too, especially with, uh, you know, your area, the Midwest and anytime you are, you are, you feel like you don't have very many options to quote unquote, have fun or just boredom sets in. And that's why people drink and go out to the woods and, you know, do illicit mm -hmm. drugs or whatever. And like, it's especially ubiquitous in, you know, your area, the Midwest and many other small towns. Um, and so it, you can easily see where you could, you could have fallen down that path if you, you know, just made one or two different choices. Yeah, no, yeah. completely. And, so with, with that, the, like you said, you, you were going to tell your parents you weren't going to pursue college and, you know, join a touring band and stuff like that. Were they, um, were they, I guess, I'm sure that they weren't supportive over the idea of you not continuing your education, but were they, I guess, concerned about like all the weird stuff that you were bringing home and like, what do you what, like band stuff? Like, what is this? It's super weird. Stanley doesn't seem to be, you know, have any real direction at all. Or were they just kind of like, all right, well, he needs to figure out what he wants to do. You know, I, I thought, I don't think I have much of an interest 
I don't really have much of an idea what they were thinking at the time. <laughs> sure. Your I, head was just down, right? Yeah. And, and I, we didn't really, we didn't really have discussions like that. You know, like I, I don't really know that we talked in that way, like in a way that's like, Hey, like what's going on with you or what's up with this? They, I think they kind of just let me do whatever. And they really only concerned like if I got, if I was doing drugs or whatnot. And, and once I, I told them that I was like straight edge, they're like, Oh, that's great. You know, do, do whatever you want. I think they were so actually relieved that I was straight edge that they just didn't care what I did. Like I would go to shows like ride with people and come home at like 2 AM. Cause it's like an hour shows like hours away. And they just like, you know, they were like, they didn't care it's cause they knew I wasn't doing drugs, which is like the most important thing to them. I think like, I think that they really just, they wanted me to like be doing well. And you know, they don't, they didn't understand the band stuff and the music and they still, they don't really totally get it now either, but they're also older. Like my mom had me when she was 40 and I'm like 31 now. Oh sure. Yeah. That's definitely later in life. Yeah. So they were pretty unplugged from anything like that. And you know, they, I don't think either of them have ever been into anything sort of like alternative as far as music goes or anything like that. So they, they were supportive. Uh, my dad was not, was really not supportive of going on tour at first. I think because he had this idea of like going to college was the, you know, the only correct thing to do. And, you know, I was like one of the only people in my class that didn't go to college uh, during high school. So it's like inevitably that's sort of embarrassing if he's like talking to other parents and whatnot. Um, and my parents were divorced at the time. And so my mom, I think she was wary of it at first, but she eventually was like, really supportive. And she, she actually loaned us the money to buy a van. <laughs> she oh, we, I think, heck yeah. I think it was like, I think she loaned us like 1800 bucks at the time. And then we just all paid her back like every month. Like we just set up a payment plan and we paid her back every month for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and which was like amazing, you know, we didn't know how else we were going to get a van. Like I was like right out of high school. The other people were just a few years older than me. So we didn't really have the ability to like take loans out or anything. So she loaned it and um, she really made it happen. Um, And I think that she was worried about me, obviously as any parent would be, but I think as they saw me do this and really put and really like delve into it and, and spend a lot of time and energy into this band thing. Like I really got into the managing of it side, like the record label side, the merch side. I really loved all that stuff. And I think they saw that. And then my dad changed his tune whenever we signed to this label bullet tooth. Of course. Yeah. Which is like the new, you know, it used to be trust kill, but he was like, Oh, you, cause I went through the contract and I, I like requested some stuff be changed and whatnot. Like I, I'm pretty sure I'm the only person on my band that read the contract. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, for sure. I mean, especially if you're the business person, it's running through your filter. Other people are just like, yeah, that's fine. They're pay- they're paying us, you know, $6,000 to record a record. Like, oh my gosh, done. Where do I sign? <laughs> yeah. If, yeah, they were just like, so I read through it and I think everyone was just a cool, like <laughs> this rocks. Yeah. And, and to this day, I'm still like, I guess we technically still owe him like two records, but. <laughs> right. Sorry. Yeah. yeah we're not going to get, Josh, you'll have to, uh, you'll have to come at us pretty hard if you want us to, you know, put out two more dead icons records. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, I, I actually, I talked with Josh quite a bit, um, actually pretty regularly because dead icons just did a reunion show and right. I talk with him every, uh, every now and then I, I really like him. I mean, yeah, that was, that was a big thing for me. It was bullet tooth was like a really huge deal for me. Cause I loved trust kill growing up. Yeah. 
Absolutely. No. And I, like, as I, cause I, I knew you had played in bands, but I didn't know which one. And then once I started to look into it, I was like, Oh dude, yeah, I remember your band just from the bullet tooth association and my, you know, forever obsession for anything hardcore or hardcore adjacent related. But, uh, I, I think that was, uh, you know, a really probably fun experience for you. Not only getting to know Josh, who put out some, you know, of probably your all time favorite records, but then to be able to kind of be, treated in some ways like a peer where it's like oh yeah like let's do this for you know the album release or whatever and uh, have that experience i'm sure it was really exciting for you oh yeah no it was like it was great i mean we so we when we were <laughs> so when we were trying to get a label we made a first of all we made every mistake that you could make as a band like we i remember at one point we like we had like four songs recorded, written, and we put it out. And then we emailed all these labels and think fast was like, yeah, when do you want to put this out? And we're like, fuck, we already put it out. And they're like, Oh, okay. Uh, I guess <laughs> why did you head send this to us? Like, <laughs> right. Why, what was the point of that? Yeah. yeah. And I was like, fuck, of course, why would we have, I think that was one of my first lessons of like, not to sell yourself too short. Um, like always sort of shoot for the sky. Like, Hey, we can just record these. We don't have to, because our, in our mind, we're like, we have to put these out because we're not ready yet to be on a label, you know, like we just put this out and then whatever. So that was like an EP called Vultures and that we, we, it, we could have put it out on Think Fast, but we goofed. And then we recorded some demos for a full length and we were shopping that around and um, pretty much everyone like turned us down uh, besides Josh. And he was like very excited about it. And so we were like, hell yeah like first of all we don't have any other options and second like this sounds like the best option right yeah (laughs) and it turned out turned out to be a really good option because josh did a lot for us i mean he like put us in magazines and all kinds of got us like all kinds of stuff that i feel like a smaller hardcore label wouldn't have been able to do Mm -hmm. and um you definitely had yeah. definitely had some juice and that well that's cool that you were just doing the because that was actually gonna be one of my questions how you got hooked up with bullet tooth but it just sounds like you were doing you know, the, what bands do just send around their demos and hitting up record labels and trying to, you know, create momentum that way while also playing shows and trying to get your name out that way. Yeah, no, definitely. And we, we were like, at the time we were being booked, we had just gotten a booking agent, but our booking agent was like, I can't really submit you for tours unless you're on a label. I'm like, okay. He's like, so you have to find a label. We're like, all right. Um, and that's, so we were just submitting stuff around. I, I can't remember who else we, who all we got turned down from. We were, for a while, I thought we were going to sign to good fight. Um, but I think what happened was like the guy, our contact there was like, he was really trying to make it happen, but I think they were in the middle of moving, changing some stuff around. And then Josh was like, I'll sign them. Like, <laughs> I think they're dope. <laughs> so Josh <laughs> that's like, amazing. Him, kind of signed him out from underneath, uh, good fight. That's perfect. Well, I mean, him and Carl are like, you know, best friends. So it's, a, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's some healthy competition there. <laughs> yeah. I remember one time we were like with Josh in New Jersey, like going to the beach or something. And he was like, uh, what did he say? He was like, oh yeah, Carl just texted me. I said, I'm hanging out with that band. Remember the band that you didn't sign that I signed instead? <laughs> ah, dude, <laughs> yeah. so good. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I remember that. And so did you, like, once you started to get out and tour and, you know, put out records and all that stuff, I know you said you really enjoyed the business aspect of, you know, booking, dealing with record labels, all that stuff. Did you like the experience of touring and seeing what that side entailed? Yeah, I, I loved it. I, I had never been, I'd been some places in the U S I'd been overseas and stuff with my parents a little bit, but 
I loved seeing all the different places in the US. I love meeting people and and I think it really just threw me into the wild as far as like trying to figure out who I am because every day I was forced to like interact with all these different people and put in a situation so it's like maybe we're getting robbed or maybe you know this has happened or how do we find the money for gas if we didn't sell any merch or whatever. Yep. So I sort of always I started trying to I started figuring out the kind of person I was, which is like a person that that likes to hustle and likes to grind and um that really believes that I can do stuff if I if I really just put my mind to it. Because my my mom was always like very much both my parents were very supportive of that idea too. They were just like, you can do what you want. You just have to like really focus on it and work hard. And I started to discover that about myself. Like, okay, cool. Maybe I'm not going to do this the way that they thought I would, or maybe my dad or, you know, whatever, going to college and all this stuff. Like, but I can do it my own way. And I know that I can't fail because I, there's no way I can fail at something I'm working this hard at, you know? Um, and, and like, I love this much, which in some ways we did fail, but in other ways, like I, I don't look at anything I did as far as like a band as a failure. No, no. I, and I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Cause I think anybody that once you start to actually tour, or put out a record, like that's, you know, more than what 99% of the people on this planet ever get to experience. And so, yeah, the, just because you didn't, you know, break through in a way that some larger hardcore band did it's like you still got exactly what you're talking about all these chops that you're able to apply to other areas of your life that you know like you said you identified yourself as a grinder and you're like all right well i'm gonna hustle and that's going to play into what i am going to do from a creative slash comedy perspective yeah i mean totally i taking the mindset from hardcore where you have to like diy and self-promote and self-promote and basically just create heat around yourself. Um, I took that into doing comedy and like filmmaking. And I think that I, I don't know. I think that I was moving at a pace faster than a lot of people around me were because I found that when I started doing improv, I I moved to Chicago to do like filmmaking and, and improv and comedy and sketch stuff. And most of the people that are around came from like theater, like they're theater majors or whatever. And so I think that a lot of the people I was around were in the, of the mindset, like, Oh, I just have to be really good. And somebody will make things happen for me. Whereas I was always like, no one's going to make anything happen for me if they do great, but I'm not going to count on it. Cause it's not guaranteed. Like the only thing I can guarantee is what is the work I put into myself. And that's all I'm going to like count on for now. And so I think that I started doing things and moving in ways that maybe other people weren't at the time or, um, maybe hadn't been around that time. And there are other people doing what I was doing too, but, um, yeah, I just, I, I took the mindset of being in a hardcore band and having to grind stuff out and understanding what it takes to like get people to get on board with what you're doing and applied that to comedy and like filmmaking, um, you know, and, and doing improv and all that stuff. Evilgreed.net is an amazing web source solution for bands to sell their merch, but, Most importantly, on top of that, they are an amazing provider of shipping you that said band merch and items. Like, let me just give you, paint you a picture of what it is that Evil Greed does. First of all, they kind of act like a record label. It's a very specific set and type of bands that they introduce to their ecosystem. And trust me, if you like like one or two bands on this roster, you will like 
pretty much everything else they do. Like, I'll just give you a little smattering of some of their best-selling items. How about a long-sleeve blood incantation shirt? Or how about a short-sleeve power trip shirt? How about the newest Death Heaven record, Infinite Granite, which is my favorite record of 2021? Russian Circles, Nails, the list goes on. And they also work with really cool record labels like Sergeant House and Triple B. Trust me in going to evilgreed.net. But the most important thing that you can do is use this promo code 100 words, 10% off your entire order. They're based out of Germany, but they ship to the US and the exchange rate is working in our favor right now. And plus, they get it to you in record time. And I'm not talking about vinyl records. I'm talking about very quick shipping to you. So go to evilgreed.net. 100 words is the promo code, 10% off your entire order, and buy all that cool stuff that I just gave you on the bestseller list because you can't go wrong with any of that. So thank you very much, Evil Greed. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Ready to bring some spring vibes indoors? Bear Premium Plus Paint is here to make it happen. And it's starting at only $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Picture your kitchen coming to life by adding a pop of blue with the bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake. And let's not forget your living room. Picture it drenched in the lush, verdant tones of Amazon jungle, breathing new life into your space with every glance. Head into your bathroom and let the cool breeze of sea glass wash away all your stress. And when the morning sun peeks through your bedroom window, Feel the warmth and comfort of a spring sunrise with shades like coral cloud and dark crimson. Whatever your inspiration, start your spring with a durable finish that resists dirt and grime to last all season. And let your creativity bloom with Bare Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Yeah, and it- I think, and I'm sure this experience opened up to you as well, once you started to apply those same DIY mechanics that you learned in promoting shows and whatever, doing everything that a band does, it's so similar to the other other ideas of what you were entering, where it's like, you get people to show up at a place and, you know, maybe they'll watch what you're doing. Like, that's the same thing, except I'm just, you know, I don't have a bass guitar in my hand. Yeah, and exactly. And I knew the way that things work is... When you first start doing something, there's the initial bump, which is like, well, cool, you're doing comedy. like, And people are like, that's great for you. And then there's a drop off, right? And you keep going. And, you know, there's like sort of like a lull and period where people are like, okay, you're still doing it, you know? And then there's like oftentimes an, another drop off where people are like often sort of annoyed that you're continuing to do the thing you're right. doing. And then what happens is like once you inevitably over time, if you are putting in like, time plus effort and like discipline equals like results. Right. So like inevitably over time you will get some sort of result 
which like that creates like some, a little pop, like in success or something. And then people are like, Whoa, cool. Like then they're on board. Right. Like, and then, you know, that sort of goes in waves, but I knew that. So I was like, well, I just have to keep doing this. Like, I, I don't know that I know that it took me at least four years in a band to get anywhere close to anywhere I wanted to go. So I'm, I can put in at least double that. I can put in 10 years to this before it can start picking up the way I want it to. So I knew that I could just work for that long and I knew how long it would take. Cause I think a lot of people that I was around were like upset that they weren't getting like certain roles or certain like spots on theaters or whatever. And I was, uh, I, I never really felt that I never really felt that like chip on my shoulder. Like I should be getting this or I should be doing that because I knew like, okay, like I just have to keep doing my thing and you know, I can figure this out. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, uh, expectations were being managed appropriately in your own head where it's like, Oh, if I don't get this, like that's okay. Rather than some people that haven't experienced that level of disappointment of like, Oh man, I thought this show was going to have a hundred people and there's, uh, there's four and that's right. it. <laughs> or it's like, you know, at the time there's like, you know, you're trying to get on like these improv, I don't know how much you know about like improv or sketch, but like trying to get on these improv, like house teams, like I would just get denied from them, like different ones I'd audition for and all this stuff. And if anything, I think it just made me like more fired up. <laughs> sure. Like, I, I think I, I have strong, I think I, that's a big, another thing I've had to work on in therapy is like, try not to let every little thing that I get, like that I, that I feel like I have been not, didn't get, um, be like, all right, well, fuck it. I'm just going to do, do my own thing and do it better than they ever did, you know, like, and not be upset that I didn't get it, but use it to like as fuel, you know? So I think in the beginning, like I, I was like a little bit, I'd get miffed if certain things didn't happen, but I didn't, I just like, I didn't expect them to happen, but if it didn't happen, I, and I think at times I was almost, I almost wanted to get denied from things because it made me like feel more like empowered or like it just lit more of a fire because the whole time when we were touring, I, um, you know, like you submit for tours and you don't get them or whatever. And we're like, fuck it. We're going to do our own thing, but better or whatever. Like, right. And it just led to some fire. So I, I'm, I feel like I'm sounding hypocritical the way I'm talking about it. Like where I wasn't, I was like, I think I was managing expectations while at the same time, just like using that information to fuel, like, my drive, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean that, I think that's a very appropriate response of if I don't get this, then, you know, that's just going to redouble my efforts and not in like a futile, like you're just throwing things at the wind and hoping someone catches it down the you know path or whatever, but just that you are like, okay, well, just because I didn't get this doesn't mean I won't get this thing or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, and so, because I know, like you mentioned, you were in Chicago and then you went to New York. And as you started to immerse yourself within the comedy and improv scene, um, you know, that's a really insular and very competitive community in ways that is, you know, there are probably similarities between, you know, hardcore bands and, and punk yeah, bands and independent. <laughs> yeah, but like it would you be able to compare and contrast those and say, like, oh, dude, the comedy world is like way more cutthroat? Or vice versa. So the comedy world in Chicago is is very cutthroat. If your if your mindset is I need to succeed in Chicago, so for example, like in Chicago, there's like Second City. The only paying comedy jobs in Chicago are like at the time you could write for the Onion, 
You could be on the main stage at Second City or being a touring company for Second City or do a boat for Second City. Um, or you could be one of the random lucky people that gets to audition for SNL and then you can maybe get on SNL. And that's like, there are a million factors in it getting to audition for SNL, which was a goal of mine for a long time. Like I would do characters and do these different showcases and shows. And I realized that, and I was, it was all like in hopes of maybe someone, maybe the person in charge of picking people would pick me to audition for SNL. And then I think like towards the end of my time in Chicago, um, like I just realized like everyone's competing for these same like four spots and, or these same jobs. And I started to realize like, honestly, none of these sound that good to me besides SNL. And like, I didn't want to tour. Like I've already been touring like on all the time. Like I don't touring doing comedy is like a comedy sketch show is not something that I'm like, like wowed by. I've been, I've done toured in like way more grand ways, you know? And then I didn't want to go on a, on a cruise ship for like four months right? Uh, do, doing the same show like three nights a week. And like, I was like, I hate cruises. So why would I do that? And then like at the time, like people performing on at the main stage of second city were making like not that much money. Right. So I was like, I, I, first of all, like, if I'm doing this, I can't really, I'm not going to have any money to put into doing my own stuff, like filming my own stuff or whatever, which was my biggest, uh, which is what I was wanting to do the most. So I was like, well, I'm just going to get a day job and then I'm going to all my extra money. I'm going to put into making stuff instead of trying to get these random jobs that everyone's applying for. As opposed to like with hardcore, there's, there's a lot of labels now, you know, you can, if your one label turns you down, there's, I don't know, 20 other ones that you could, and, and at all different levels, you know, there's so many labels. I mean, granted there's the bigger ones still, but there's, there's less competition and then now that I'm in LA, it's even New York was pretty cutthroat. I feel like there's not that many spots to do stuff, but in LA, there's so much opportunity for like comedy and writing and entertainment everywhere. It's like, I don't really feel like I'm competing with anyone at all. I think, uh, you know, if, if anyone, I'm just competing with myself really. Sure. Sure. And that, and that is interesting to be able to not only juxtapose each of these cities against each other, but then the scene as a whole, because I'm sure that, you know, certain, uh, cities are probably the same way from the di music scene where it's like oh yeah dude like you, you can't bother to play shows here because this venue just you know blackballs this type of band or whatever mm-hmm. it's like yeah yeah um the the hustle that you were talking about because clearly like i know the um you know the film that you put together samurai sword like it, clearly that was you know a, a labor of love you wrote it obviously were um you know that <laughs> very heavy handed in every aspect of that film yeah. um so is it one of those things that like you you find the similarities between that and the bands like almost exactly the same where you're just like all right i'm gonna find some money here i'm gonna do this do i'm gonna do that um you know, how, how do you compare and contrast those experiences? Yeah, I think that they're, they're almost exactly the same, except the film thing is a little bit easier because you don't have other people that you're relying on to, you know, the, the, one of the problems with the bands always is like you have different, you have different people, personalities in a band and you need them all to work for it to happen as opposed to like making a film, um, you know, you have different people in different department heads, like, my wife was like the art director, like production designer for that. And then, you know, we have like a you have like director of photography, the person that like shoots it and all this stuff. So all these people are like working together, but it's not like 
hingent on these exact four people doing it, you know? So like, I, I just use the word hingent, which is an actual word, but it doesn't hinge yeah. on the four exact people to make it happen. So making a film is better. Like if one person is sick or something happens, you can just get another person to come in and like do lighting or whatever. Um, so I think filmmaking is, a, I, that's one of the reasons why I got into filmmaking too, is because I, it was a creative outlet that I could be more in control of and not so relying on other people. Right. Yeah. That is a good point because I mean, I think that's what really captures people's imaginations that are, you know, watching films being put together and just like, Oh my gosh, you know, the, the credits are almost meaningless to most people, but then you're just like, yeah, but those are all people doing very specific jobs in order to make this collective thing be brought to the world. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they're all like doing good work. And you just need to, like you said, understand that, um, this it, it is less precious on you know each of these uh components being brought together and it's more focused on the project as a whole as opposed to like oh dude our guitarist can't make this tour like i guess we just won't do it right and the other thing about filmmaking that i love is is one thing i learned from being in a band and writing music is like a good idea can come from anywhere right like you're the like if you're writing a song you can have like this idea for a riff or like the whole song planned out. And then like the drummer could be like, well, what if we just did this part instead? Like in at leading up to this or the guitarist is like, I actually have this riff that might fit better. And you're like, okay, cool. Like collectively our goal is to write the best thing possible. So I, that I have the experience with filmmaking is like, I'm, I don't, whenever I'm directing something or writing something or whatever, I don't think that I have all the answers. Like, in fact, I like to work with people that are smarter than me and in all these different areas like my wife is like, um, like she is able to see things in a way like with colors and whatnot that I, I don't always have the ability to. So like her production designing, it's like, okay, cool. You have ideas that I wouldn't have seen, you know, that's great. Then like the director of photography is thinking about it a different way. So all these, like all these people are like forcing you to ask questions or answer questions creatively that you might not have ever needed to. And like a good ideas can come from anywhere. So it's collaborative and you want, you're all, you're, your everyone's goal is to make the best thing possible. Um, so I learned that from being in a band where it's like, that's the good part of being in a band is like, everyone wants to write the sickest song, you know, everyone wants to write a great album. And it's not just like, it doesn't have to be just one person's mastermind. In fact, like a lot of times when it's just one person, it sort of ends up being like kind of weird, you know? <laughs> that Yeah, it's true. It's like you, it is so singularly that person's vision. I mean, everybody wants to be this, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson, like a tour, but like that, that's, you know, that's a very rare breed. Like, and I'm sorry, but you're maybe not that special. Right. <laughs> and it, like you said, it, whatever you do is kind of weird. Like it doesn't even make sense. So yeah. Also, I think like people will see, like, for example, people will watch shows and they'll be like, they'll credit the director with everything, like being cool about it. And you're like, well, there's also a production designer. So it's like picking right. out different costumes. And this person has this tattoo that matches this and the credits and all this stuff. It's like, it's not one person's singular vision. Like I'm sure that the production designer had a lot of this stuff in mind to put these pieces together and whatnot. Like, so yeah, it's, it's all sort of a collaborative thing. Right. And uh, I know that many people like you were, like we were joking about the very beginning have started to, you know, notice your, uh, the videos you're doing on very uh, specific yet also universal things in relation to the hardcore scene, whether it's, you know, straight edge kid accidentally selling out or, uh, you know, your most recent video of a promoter, which I mean, 
it, it is such a beautiful chef's kiss of like every single promoter that has no idea what they're doing. I can't even begin to explain it, mm-hmm. but I, I, I find it so interesting because like clearly it's made for an audience of people who have had some sort of contextual experience with it. But then on the flip side, it's like I show it to my 11 year old child and he laughs at it as well. And so <laughs> Have you, I'm sure that you've experienced that idea where it's like, hey, a lot of civilians are also interacting with my stuff that maybe have a very topical knowledge of what it is that I'm talking about and aren't getting like, you know, the the deeper cuts that I'm throwing in there. Um, But then at the same time, like there's a lot of people watching the video. So has it been interesting for you to kind of watch those reactions? Yeah. Like sometimes I'll get the people that share it and they'll be like, this is me at the next Knock Loose show. And then they'll someone be like, this is me the next time I see Megadeth or whatever. It's like, <laughs> this is me. This is me when System of a Down plays next month. You know, like, so right. I'll get like, I'll get people that are sharing it, like from basically anything that could be like adjacent to heavier emo or whatever. I also, the promoter one also got a lot of people into wrestling because I guess wrestling promoters are that way. A lot oh, right. So I found that people will sort of relate it to the thing that they're into um, which, which is cool. Like I, I, I never thought that like, I never considered making videos like that, like niche stuff like that, because I just didn't think that anyone would be interested. And I only made the first one I made to make like the hundred people I knew from hardcore laugh, like on my Instagram. And then that was the one that blew up. So, you know, that shows you how much I know I spent years, like not making fun of hardcore when I could have done, done it earlier, but you know, right. And, and that's a and I, I guess like I didn't think about it in those terms of what you're talking about, where people, regardless of you know their deep knowledge about all of the stupid stuff that you and I care about, but they're just like they see it, they recognize themselves in some aspect of it, and then it's just funny to share, and then it goes. Yeah. And so yeah, it's like it's weird that like the almost the more specific you get, the more broadly it can be shared. As weird as that sounds. Yeah. And I think that also people can relate to, I I don't know. I, I do for everything I do, I try and make their, I try and they're also make, I can't even talk right now. I try to make sure there's also a kernel of truth as far as like the, the human that's there. So like the promoter guy, like everyone knows someone who is sort of like in over their head and like maybe scamming people or whatever. And like, that's sort of a universal truth about humanity is like people that, are just sort of scummy sometimes. And then, you know, with like the mosh guy I do, it's like clearly his life is, is in shambles. Like I, for every few jokes, I always put another, another joke. That's like about how bad his life is. So it's like, you know, someone who's like very boisterous, but like on the flip side has like a terrible home life, you know? Yeah. So that's like a pretty universal human thing that I think anyone can relate to. And, And the fact that it's so niche, I think, sometimes makes people that don't understand it, it makes it funnier to them because it's such like a niche, like humor. Uh, right. It's like, here's these, here's these nerds talking about nerdy stuff. Like that's funny. And then on top of it, there's this universal truth that you're sprinkling in on this, that people also find funny. So it's like, you know, it hits them both ways. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, two last things I want to hit on was the, um, 
and I, I'm sure this maybe has been echoed back to you, but you know, when you popped up, obviously in the Blink commercial for their reunion and stuff, I, it was one of those things like in the same way that when we watch bands from our scene reach some level of like playing a late night show or whatever, where it's like, you just feel like a person that you are watching or traveling alongside be like, Oh, that's sick. Like, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> where, where, where did people kind of express that to you where it's just like, Oh damn, dude, that's Stanley, the hardcore kid making fun of hardcore stuff. Oh yeah, dude. I mean that morning, like when I woke up, I didn't know it was coming out um, that day and, uh, or maybe I did, but I just was like sleeping. And then I woke up to like a bunch of texts and people were like, are you in this like blink video or whatever? Cause I couldn't say anything. Cause I was on an NDA. Of course. Um, and, uh, but yeah, dude, people are super excited and they were like sharing it all on Twitter and everything. And like, um, I, cause I, I, I totally get it because I feel that way when I see like someone wearing like a hardcore shirt and like a show or like seeing an, an actor finding out an actor likes hardcore or like a certain director or writer or whatever. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, that's so cool. Like, I don't know why I think, I don't know why I think it's so cool. I think it's just to, to, feel connected to people well, doing stuff it, like in some way. I know I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I think it, I, I think it's special because even though as much as this whole subculture is, you know, arguably mainstream, than you know it was five or 10 or 15 years ago or whatever you still like, it still takes work to like get into this stuff and go to shows and, you know, you have to mm-hmm. put some educational time into it. So when you have a person like, you know, whatever, Josh Brolin being like talking about RKL, you're like, what the f- wow, dude, like deep yeah. cut. And you just immediately like them that much more because you understand that they are real human and they probably put some work in at some point for this. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and I think that like, even like seeing someone putting a poster in the background of a show, that's like a, you know, whatever, like a cursed poster or something like that, or a terror poster. You're like, damn, someone on that show, like someone working there, like made the conscious choice to do that because they think it's cool. And that that's like really interesting to me or really cool. Like it makes you feel like, wow, that's a thing that I really love is like in this other thing that's not supposed to be there. You know, that's really cool. Right. Yeah. It's like someone knows what's up somewhere along this line and like yeah. kudos to them. <laughs> Did, um, do you, do you want to play in a band ever again? Or is it one of those things that the idea of like touring and, you know, being creative on that side of things is uh, that that ship has sailed because, you know, you're, you're doing what you're doing now. Yeah. I wouldn't say that I, the ship has sailed. I mean, dead icons, we did this reunion show and we're kind of trying to get Pull stuff together. going again. Yeah. And, and write some stuff and we'll see where that goes. Problem is that like some of them are in Kentucky. Some, some people, someone's in Florida, like I'm in LA. And so it just kind of depends on like the logistics and, you know, it it might be like a weekend warrior type of thing where every now and then we'll play some shows or put out an EP or whatever. Right. But it's, it sucks because I am the kind of person that wants to do all the things all the time. Um, I would love to be in four bands, do all the stuff I'm doing now, like, you know, like crazy, but, I, I have found that that is like my, I'm going back to therapy stuff. I found that one of my, my coping mechanisms is that I, I like to overload myself with product projects because it makes me feel good to complete them. But then at the same time, when I'm doing that, I'm also neglecting like other parts of my life. So like, I'm, you know, I need to, (laughs) I need, I'm trying to do a better job of being aware of how many projects I'm taking onto my plate. And 
and right now it's hard for me to imagine doing another band besides maybe whatever the dead icon stuff turns into specifically because I'm in such a transitional period from like, I, I was working in tech for a long time and then I got laid off and, you know, a few months ago at the same time as all this other stuff has been taking off. So I've been getting other opportunities that way. So I'm very much in the middle of trying to figure out like what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> so I'm like, I got to figure out what the hell I'm doing right now before I take on like other projects. Right. And like, maybe right. Eventually if I'm like, if I like writing for a show for a few months, then I can like be in a band for a little bit or write some music and whatnot. But right now I'm just like, ah, I got to figure out what the heck is going on. And, and I, as much as I am a person that loves having all this stuff going on, I do a terrible job at like big change. So I'm in like, I'm so in the middle of all this stuff. Like while everything is going really well, I am consequently like more anxious and stressed than I have been like sure. in years because of, because of um, not necessarily knowing like where everything is leading. Yeah. You know, I used to, when I had like a day job, it's like, I know every two weeks I'm getting this amount of money and this can go here and here. But now it's like, it's not that I'm not like making any money. It's just like, it's all from different sources. So it's kind of like, just juggling a bunch of plates, which I've never had to do before. So I'm still sort of figuring everything out, which is it's fun, but also like very stressful for a person that um, has like an anxiety disorder. Basically. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Where, yeah, it's like they're the, <laughs> I, most humans strive in or thrive in structure. And so when that gets removed from you, then the idea of just like, okay, like, I guess I'll, you know, have my YouTube channel more appropriately monetized and like things that like, <laughs> I, I didn't even, but like, what, that wasn't even a thing I was thinking about previously, but now yeah. I have to. So yeah, I totally get that. Well, Stanley, thank you so much for letting me, uh, you know, ping pong around your creative life. But uh, yeah, I, I appreciate the work that you do and uh, keep keep the funny, entertaining stuff going because uh, yeah, you, you got something there, kid, as they say in the biz or something. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> I, I will. There we go. What a great chat with Stanley. And you should follow him on all the platforms because it's really fun to watch his videos as they come out because they're extremely funny. I show them to my wife and my child and everybody in the whole family laughs. So thank you very much, Stanley, for coming on the show. Next week, it is a one-word guest, Moby. I have Moby on the show next week, which is awesome to say. For those of you that are not familiar with Moby's uh, punk past, he is a huge advocate, not only for veganism and animal rights, but uh, he's straight edge. He has played in uh, bands back in the day or in the early 80s in the <laughs> New York City scene. And uh, we go deep into that. Uh, I only had him for a what we call in the biz a, a tight 30. So we actually went a little bit over that. So it's a little bit shorter of an episode, but uh, there's so much goodness in there. Uh, because uh, Moby, yeah, I mean, he clearly... He is a, a known commodity within the uh, the music industry at large and uh, is internationally famous, which is uh, funny to say. But um, anyways, that's what we got next week. And uh, I'll have some more fun announcements next week as well because I'll be doing another set of live podcasts at a music festival. And if you're listening this deep, you're, you're, you're getting a sneak preview. So that's what's happening next week. Until then, please be safe, everybody. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. 
That's betterhelp.com. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply.